0: From our epistle reading this morning, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. may be seated. I think living sacrifice has to be one of the most metal-sounding names for Christians. In fact, that literally was the name of a Christian metal band from my youth. Um, This summer, our lectionary has us walking through um, Paul's letter to the Romans for our epistle reading and through Matthew for our gospel readings. Sometimes these texts have operated rather independently, and sometimes there's been a nice intersection between the two. I think today is one of those days we can find an, an intersection point. And so I'd like to think with you this morning about one of the key concepts in Romans 12, 1, the idea of the followers of Christ being a living sacrifice. And I'd like to see how this aligns with when Jesus in Matthew 16 tells his followers to take up their cross. What I think these passages from scripture show us is that the Christian life is one that is lived in total dedication to God, in a grateful response to God's mercy. The Christian life is one that is lived in total dedication to God, in a grateful response to God's mercy. We heard this morning from Romans 12, starting in that first verse of that chapter. We're going to hang out and here quite a bit if you want to look at it while we do. Uh, Romans 12, 1, here St. Paul begins again. I appeal to you, therefore, dot, dot, dot. When any time you see a therefore in the text, you ought to wonder what came before the therefore. For that is what the therefore is there for. A Dr. Seuss for you this morning. I don't know. The idea is that we have to remember what Paul said previously, what we heard last week, in order to understand what he's about to say. Now, I didn't preach last week on the epistle, so uh, it's probably not quite fresh in our minds. Here's a little refresher, a little reminder of what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. In the latter part of chapter 11, Paul had been musing on the great mystery, as he calls it, that had animated much of his teaching and his writing. This is the fact that the doors have been opened wide to the Gentiles to be part of the people of God no longer was it just the Jews, just those who were in the physical lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who would inherit God's kingdom. But Christ had fulfilled all the requirements of the old covenant and and opened up the family of God to all who believed, all who had faith in Christ, who according to John's gospel were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As Paul's writing to a primarily Gentile Christian audience in the Roman church, He's trying to remind them that this is a super big deal. These, these Gentiles who previously were on the outside are now on the inside, incorporated into the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As Paul says here in, in chapter 11, he says, You Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in, that is grafted into the tree that's the people of God. So now you also receive the blessing that God had promised Abraham and his children sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But, Paul warns in verse 18, but you must not not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch, not the root. And then Paul continues to drive that point home about about not being prideful. He, He says, you Gentiles were rebellious, but God was merciful to bring you in. You were disobedient, but God had mercy on you. God had imprisoned the disobedient, but yet you now who have embraced the message of Christ have been shown mercy. Paul's saying, you didn't do anything to deserve this. It was all God and all God's mercy. And then he comes to the conclusion of chapter 11 with this effusive praise of God for his grace and mercy. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And so it was for our reading last week, which takes us today. Therefore, so because of God's grace in grafting us Gentiles into the tree of the people of God, because everything is from God and for God, because God is the ground of our existence and our salvation and our hope, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Well, what's going on here? How are we to understand ourselves as living sacrifices? I think we have to catch a bit of the vision of the illusion that Paul is making to the sacrifices that were integral to the Old Covenant worship. So let me review a little bit of, of that, of Old Covenant worship. And I want to do so by um, relating the first part of Leviticus chapter 1, which I think gives us a, a picture, a, a scene of one of the Old Covenant sacrifices. I mean, you might even be able to imagine the scene kind of playing out in the tabernacle as, uh, as it's described here in Leviticus 1. God gives these instructions. I'm editing slightly for for brevity here, but God says this. God says, when you present an animal as a burnt offering, take it from your herd and bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so that you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then kill the young, bo- the young bull in the Lord's presence, and the priest will present the animal's blood by splattering it on all sides of the altar. Then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The priest will arrange the pieces of the offering on the altar, and then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It's a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I think there are some key points of contact between the sacrifice offered here in Leviticus 1 with what Paul is commending to us in Romans 12. These are different kinds of sacrifices, different modes of sacrifice, but I think they share a similar spiritual meaning. And I think the key for us is when God instructs the offerer, the one who offers the sacrifice, when he says, lay your hand on the animal's head. There's some dispute among commentators about just what this means, but I, I like the interpretation I heard recently from one of my former students who, who took this to be an act of identification. The offerer would put his hand on the head of the animal and so identify with the animal. For God says he will accept the death of that animal in your place. What, what happens to the animal becomes spiritually representative of what's happening to the offerer. Well, and so what's that? Well, We'll we'll note at the end of the scene, when the priest burns the entire sacrifice as a burnt offering on the altar. What's going on there? I, I think that in an analogous way, as the animal was totally dedicated to God, totally consumed for God by being killed and then burnt completely, so too was the offerer to see his life as being totally dedicated to God. And this doesn't necessarily have to do with paying a price for sin, but rather I think the identification has to do with this total dedication, a total handing over of the animal to God, communicating how the offerer is to totally dedicate his life to God. The offerer gave a sacrifice and was reminded to live a life of sacrifice. A living sacrifice is a sacrifice of one's life day in and day out, where all that one is and all that one has is given to God. So here, Ben, back in Romans, Paul exhorts the followers of Christ to be this, to be living sacrifices. So I think he's getting at our, our call or our vocation to live totally, completely, wholly dedicated to God. That's wholly, W-H-O-L-Y, but also holy H-O-L-Y, as Paul describes there. Wholly dedicated to God. For Paul says, the followers of Christ to be living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So with this play on holy, let me offer a little excursus here on, on holiness. I've been thinking a lot about holiness in the last a few years, and it's a bit of a puzzle in biblical and systematic theology. When you look at how the term holy is used and, and what it's predicated of, we find a rather wide variety of meanings. I might say this more, more about this at a different time, but the definition of holiness that I've been attracted to, and I think grounds other aspects of holiness, is that holiness means Being owned by God, belonging to God, being the possession of God. Holy objects are God's objects, whether those things are objects in the temple or times or seasons, or even, as the case is here, us humans. So I think this is what's going going on here with Paul. I think Paul tells his readers, us included, that as living sacrifices, we are to be holy, H-O-L-Y, to God. We are to belong to God, to be owned by God be totally dedicated to God. So both the image of being a living sacrifice in the manner of the Levitical burnt offering and by being declared holy to God has both come to tell us that our vocation is to be totally dedicated to God. Now, if you're paying attention to verse 1 there of Romans 12, or you're looking at in front of you, you'll see an important phrase I get to engage. Here it is again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And me draw your attention to that phrase, on the basis of God's mercy, don't sleep on that. My family and I did this Chicago architectural tour a couple of weeks ago, where we were like on a boat going through the various places, and uh, the guide kept saying, don't sleep on the brick buildings which my kids were kind of puzzled by at first. What what does that mean? But the idea was that the brick buildings are kind of like seem plain at first, but then when you kind of look closely, they're actually really beautiful. So don't sleep on the brick buildings. But here, don't sleep on God's mercy. This phrase is important here in this this verse. By the mercies of God is how the English Standard Version translates it. On the basis of God's mercy, we heard the New Revised Standard. In view of God's mercy, New International Version, through the mercies of God, Lexham English Bible. What I think Paul's getting at here, and what these translations are all all gesturing toward, is in in light of what we covered in chapter eleven, we need see that we need to see that this whole business of becoming a living sacrifice, being totally dedicated to God, is both responsive to and empowered by God's mercy. All right, so none of this stuff about sacrifice is, is preparatory for God's mercy. Our sacrifice isn't a prerequisite for God's mercy. You now Paul tells us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice as a response to God's mercy. God has graciously chosen us, opened to us Gentiles, the possibility of being grafted into the people of God. In response to this, we are to present our bodies, ourselves, our souls, as a living sacrifice, totally dedicated to God. And this then I think takes us to our gospel reading. I think this is the same point being totally dedicated to God, belonging to God, that is what I think Jesus' illustration about taking up one's cross is supposed to convey. If you recall last week, we thought about how Simon Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, marked a a, a new moment for Simon Peter, a radical conversion, in fact, and Jesus gave him a new name to mark this. Simon became Peter, his Christian name showed that he now belonged to Christ, indeed marked as Christ's own forever. And quick on the heels of this revelation and confession that Jesus was the son of God, Jesus tells his followers, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I can imagine Peter thinking, well, hang on. I thought maybe following the almighty God of the universe would come with some perks, actually. I mean, I'm on the team with the creator of the universe. Don't I get a t-shirt or something? But Jesus isn't promising that at all. Rather, he's talking about self-denial, self-sacrifice, Indeed, even death is what it means to embrace Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And this is total dedication. Jesus is asking his followers to give everything to him and no less. And that's a tough ask. But let's not forget the context of the ask. He isn't asking us to deny ourselves in order to get something cool. It's a response, a response to God's mercy that we are encouraged to take this step. It's our gratitude that moves us to this level of dedication to God. St. Paul exhorts us followers of Christ to be living sacrifices, like the burnt offering of the Old Covenant, were to be totally dedicated to God, belonging to God. And this entails self-denial, even to the point of taking up one's cross to accept death for the sake of Christ. But this self-denial is not a prerequisite for the mercy or grace of God. That's come freely to all those who put their faith in Christ. Rather, our lives of sacrifice are to flow from a grateful response to God's mercy. So, in conclusion, let me close with this application of these ideas, if I might. Um, This is Labor Day weekend, and I admit that I'm pretty allergic to making any reference to the civil calendar in the church. The church has its own calendar, And I think that should always supersede any civil or Hallmark holidays. But I guess the connection was too tight for me to ignore. So I'm gonna do something I've never done before and make a connection between a biblical point and a secular holiday. The US Department of Labor's website told me earlier this week that Labor Day is an annual celebration of the social and economic achievements of American workers. So what's the connection to the themes here in this sermon? I'm not gonna tell you to be totally dedicated to your work as if your only purpose was to raise the American GDP. I'm not going to tell you to be a living sacrifice to the American economic achievements. But I'll tell you this, when we work, we all work with our bodies. Whether you're a homemaker or a teacher or a doctor or a student or whatever, you're engaged in that activity with your bodies. It may not be as obvious for some of us who aren't farmers or roofers or plumbers, but we still use our bodies for our work. And for those of us who get paychecks for the work that we do, our income, our salaries, our wages, these are representative of the efforts that we've expended in our jobs, which themselves are representative of our, of our life and our labor. If Paul's saying that our bodies, our lives, and indeed all that we have and all that we are are to be totally dedicated to God in grateful response to his mercy, then we might want, like that ancient Israelite, some way to express that some way to communicate that. Think about that ancient Israelite in Leviticus 1 who took one of the animals from his herd, from his work, from his labor. This was a token, a representation, a symbol of his labor, of his effort, which was produced by his body. And then he then placed his hand on the animal, identifying himself with it, and then gave it totally over to God. Now spiritually, I think we have the same opportunity every Sunday. We don't bring any animals from our herds into the space. We probably wouldn't have gotten new floors if we did that. But we do have the opportunity each Sunday to put our hand on some piece of money or check or some other symbol of what we've produced with our bodies and then dedicate it to God by placing it in the offering plate. I'm not saying you are your money or you are your job. It's a token, it's representation. Uh, It's a symbol of your life and your labor. But giving some small representation of your livelihood is communicative of your totally dedicating yourself to God. But here's one difference, and I think it's a new covenant difference. Whereas in Leviticus one, the burnt offering sacrifice was completely burned up. When we offer a token of our labor to God in the offering plate, he gives it back to us. God gives our offering back to us in the form of bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ. He gives it back to us in the form of the worship of this parish. He gives it back to us in the form of pastoral care and mission and the forging together of our community that we have here in this parish. And this is what he does with our lives as well. Jesus goes on in Matthew 16 to say this, For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. When we give our lives to God lose our lives for God's sake, he gives it back to us. In this wonderful, beautiful, apparent paradox, to be totally dedicated to God, living as a living sacrifice, turns out to be the most fulfilling, flourishing, and life-giving way to live. Amen.